Hallelujah. Glory to God. I welcome us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on behalf of Pastor Shegwan from Kelbaje to the second class of World Evangelization course. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you for how far you have brought us in School of Ministry 2021. We'll say be exalted in Jesus' name. We ask, Lord, that your word will have free course in our midst and be glorified. We ask that you grant unto us entrance of your word into every heart present here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the light and the strength that your word ministers will come to every heart in Jesus' name. Thank you, precious Father. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. The first class of word evangelization course, we saw that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have received the word of reconciliation. And the Lord Jesus has given us the great commission to go into all the world and win souls for him by preaching the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, um, this second class will be considering how to win souls, practical ways of winning souls, practical ways of winning souls. Yes, soul winning is um, entirely spiritual. It's a spiritual assignment and um, it's a calling, it's a ministry. And yet, um, there's an art to soul winning that we have to learn. An art to soul winning that we can all learn as believers and we can master. And the first step here to winning souls is starting a conversation. Starting a conversation. Every believer, you know, must know how to start a conversation to win a soul. So it's, it's an art that we can learn and that we can master. So soul winning starts with starting a conversation hallelujah you know i want to show you the account of jesus in john chapter 4 verse 6 john chapter 4 let's see verse 7 so there was need for jesus to pass through samaria on the way to his destination and then he met a woman john 4 7 there comments a woman of samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Verse 8. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Verse 9. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So Jesus started a conversation. He started somewhere. He wanted to preach and win this woman over. And the whole city, but it started somewhere. So they have a common point. The woman came to fetch water at the well. There were no dealings between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus started a conversation. He knew that if he could get her to talk, you know, on the basis of the drink and the water, that, you know, they can start off from there. So as believers, you know, we need to learn how to start a conversation in soul winning. Hallelujah. So even though it was God who ordered the steps of Jesus to go through Samaria to where he was going, yet he needed to start a conversation with that woman. Let me also show you Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Let's see verse. Acts chapter 8. Let's see verse 18. Let's, let's go down to verse 25. 
all right, the place where the spirit told um, Philip to join himself to the chariot. Can you let me look at that? Acts 8. Thank you. Verse 29. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and had him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? Verse 31. And he said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. It was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the heart. Verse 34. And the Enoch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Verse 35. Then opened, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Hallelujah. So the spirit of God said to Philip to join himself to the chariot of the Ethiopian Enoch. Now, you know, he needed to start a conversation. So he started from where he was reading. Do you understand what you were reading? He started from the same scripture. So as believers in soul winning, we must learn how to start conversation. We must learn how to start conversation. We must be dynamic in it. So there are times you meet, you want to minister to someone. What did you meet the person doing? You met someone washing clothes. You met someone selling something. You know, start a conversation from there. Start a conversation. You know where you're going, but start a conversation from there. So it's something we have to learn. And so we start a conversation with an unsaved person and we share God's plan. We share God's plan of salvation with the person from the scriptures. So that the person can clearly understand, you know, how he or she may receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. So we start a conversation and this is what, what is called leading a person to Christ. So you start a conversation and you show the person from scriptures, from God's word. You minister understanding to the person. The Ethiopian Enoch did not understand what he was reading. So you meet someone, you know, doing one thing or the other, and then you minister understanding to the person, the understanding of the gospel to the person. And then you lead the person to Christ. So that's how to start. And then number two, practical ways of soul winning. We must use God's word. We must use God's word. So we engage the word. It's the word of God that saves. It's not common sense. It's not logic. He's not trying to convince, you know, someone. He's not just saying something. It's the word. The word is the instrument or the equipment that God has given unto us to save souls with. Remember, we have received the word of reconciliation. We don't just have the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us the equipment, the tool with which we will fulfill that ministry, the word of reconciliation. Ephesians 1.13 In whom ye also trusted, after that ye had the word of truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So he calls the word of God that saves the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. That's the word of God. That's what we preach. And that's what saves. Romans 1.16, Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed 
of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that's the gospel that saves. So as we preach the gospel of what Jesus has done, of God's love, that's what releases the power of God to save men. To snatch men from the power of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, so the kingdom of God's death. So that's what we preach. We'll preach the word. We can start a conversation, you know, on, based on what we meet the person doing. Jesus started the conversation with the Samaritan woman based on water. But he, he took it to the word that will give you a water that any man that drinks it will never thirst again. So he founded it on the word. So we can start a conversation, you know, someone watching football from a discussion of football, but we know where we are going. And then we found it on the word. We found it on the word. So it's the word of God that saves. So we must learn to use the word of God as the basis and foundation of our conversation with unbelievers that we intend to win to Christ. And we must learn to keep the discussion, you know, as simple as possible. We give and share the word of God with simplicity and clarity. When we are, you know, when we go outside there to win souls, to preach the gospel, you don't have to say everything you have learned as a believer. It's not in volume of words. Yes, we go prepared. We trust God for utterance, but keep it simple. The unbeliever does not need, there are three kinds of death. There is this kind of death. He doesn't need all those deep revelations that you have gotten, you know, as a believer that is helping you to grow. He doesn't need everything. Keep it as simple as possible, as clear as possible. There are two kinds of righteousness. You know, you don't have to say everything you know as a believer before the person can get saved. It's not in the volume of words. It's not in the, so to speak, depth of what we share. Keep it simple. As long as it's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, then it's the power of God to save. What the Holy Spirit, you, you know, uses to convict sinners is the gospel. So as we keep to the gospel and, and we keep it simple and clear, you know, the Holy Spirit will convict them with that gospel that we preach. So it's not in the volume of words. So we must keep it simple and clear. Avoid unnecessary arguments in your conversation with people. Avoid strife, bitterness, you know, you know, verbal exchange when you go out, you know, to preach the gospel. You know, when we go out to preach the gospel to the lost, we must know that the people we are going to preach to, one way or the other, they are likely to have had the gospel before. And some of them, they have this prepared mindset for anybody that comes to them. They know one or two portions of the scriptures. They've had one or two things and they are ready for you in quote. So when you come to them, you know, they, they tend to attack some of them. They tend to attack you with some of the things they think they know. To stagger you that you yourself as a believer, you don't know what you are doing. You know, they want to make you feel like you don't even know what you are preaching. You know, I, I've read the Bible. You, you see some, you know, some Muslims and some people from other religions say that, you know, I've read the Bible. This is what the Bible says. This, 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 that. You know, we must see to it that we don't engage them, you know, in, we, we don't, we are not involved in disagreement, in verbal exchange, in arguments, heated conversations. We must avoid that. Hallelujah. We must avoid that. So we present the word. It's the Holy Spirit that will convict. It's not in the argument. No. We don't argue with them. It's not in the argument. It's the Holy Spirit that will convict. We'll present God's word to them. And when the person doesn't want to listen, you know, um, you, you, you stylishly, you know, 
you know, you find a place and you say, I rebuke the devil concerning this person in the name, because you know the devil is responsible for that. So you rebuke the devil, you take authority over that spirit, and then you speak gently to the person, the gospel. We focus on the gospel. We don't get distracted. Praise God forevermore. So we don't allow their reaction or their response to the message of grace to shock us in any way. So expect, you know, they, they can, yeah, their reaction can be positive or can be negative. You understand? So we don't allow it to shock us in any way. The Bible said that, you know, when the apostles preached in the early church, some were caught to the heart and they wanted to stone Stephen. Some were caught to the heart and they asked, what can we do to get saved? See two different responses. The gospel. So some can be caught to the heart and feel like, you know, what's wrong with you? Leave this house, leave this place. Don't let it shock you in any way. Praise God forevermore. Number three, practical way. We must witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual assignment. We must do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the energy of the Spirit. We don't go in our own strength. We don't do it, you know, in our own energy. We don't lean on our logic. We don't lean on, you know, how much we know. We lean on the Spirit. So we make room for the Holy Spirit through prayers. There is no such thing like leaning on the Spirit without praying. There's no such thing like that. So when we say we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to minister the gospel, it means that through our prayers, we make room for the Spirit. We learn in the first class that we lean on the Spirit to open the doors of their hearts to give us utterance. Yes, we lean on the Spirit through our prayers. Through our prayers. So we, we see to it that if we want to go on, you know, personal evangelism, we, sh- we ought to have times that we go on personal evangelism. And as a church, we have times that we go on mass evangelism. So if we want to go on personal evangelism or mass evangelism, we must take time to pray. That's how we express our dependence on the Holy Spirit. We take time to pray. That's how the supply of the Spirit comes. We take time to pray. And even in our daily lives, we pray. We are given to prayer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine when is, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the life of a believer. So apart from the structured time, that was scheduled for personal evangelism and mass evangelism. It's our daily life, a life of prayer, being filled with the Spirit again and again because opportunities to preach the gospel can arise at any time. The Spirit said to Philip, join yourself to that child. So it means that you can be coming back from work and the Spirit can say to you, you know, join yourself to that lady, join yourself to that guy. Yes. So it takes a life of being filled, being filled with the Spirit, to minister the gospel as we ought to effectively being filled so that we can maximize every opportunity to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also we must remember that we are contending against spiritual forces. Ephesians 6.12, it said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood, that means we don't wrestle, you know, it's not a wrestle against human beings, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are the spiritual forces responsible for unbelievers, keeping them in that state. If our gospel be hid, it is hid from them, you know, whom the God of this world has blinded their hearts. So we lean on the spirit. We engage the power of the spirit. 
through prayers. We take authority over the demoniacal forces, you know, that may be holding, you know, the, our, our prospects down in the place of prayer. When we go out on evangelism and, you know, when, when you see people, they don't want to listen to you. They say, I don't have time. You know, they, they, are, not, they are not acting like that, you know, from their own senses. It's the devil ministering to them, saying, don't give attention to the gospel. And so as we take time to pray, you know, we contend with the forces of darkness holding the souls of men down. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And you as he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walketh, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience. It means there's a spirit at work in the children of disobedience. Unbelievers in suit and tie. There's a spirit at work in the children of disobedience. So we don't, we don't go out to evangelize in our own strength, with logic, with reasoning. We go leaning on the Holy Spirit, contending for souls of men from the kingdom of darkness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we must exercise our God-given authority you know, over demoniacal forces of darkness and claim the souls of people from their manipulation and dominion. Hallelujah. Number four practical way to win souls. We must give people the gospel as it is in the word, as touching the finished works of Jesus on Calvary for humanity. We must present the gospel to people the way it is in the word. We must not water it down. We are not going there to minister emotions to people just to get them, you know, um, committed to Jesus emotionally. That just say it. You may not even believe it. Just say that I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's not, you know, that's not a great commission. We present the word of God as it is, as touching the finished works of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we present the gospel to them as it is. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So we keep it, we keep it simple. We don't water down the message and yet we don't terrorize them. Glory to God. We present it the way the word says it. Now, what are the truths we present to unbelievers, to lost souls from God's word? Number one, we tell them about the fact of sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We tell them that, you know, there's more to sinning as, you know, acts. There's what is called the sin nature. And when the first man, Adam, fell, you know, he inherited that sin nature. He came into union with the devil. And, you know, he received that sin nature of the devil. And everyone who is born naturally into this world, you know, they have that sin nature. Because we were in his loins spiritually in the Garden of Eden when he committed that sin. So more than sinning as, you know, acts and, you know, um, acts that we see fornication, adultery, lying, stealing. More than that, sin is a nature. So we must tell them about the fact of sin, the nature of sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we must tell them the penalty of sin. God is just. The Bible says he will not allow, you know, any sinner to go, you know, guilty. He will not clear the guilty. No, there is justice for sin. Praise God forevermore. So the standard of God is to is holy. He cannot behold iniquity. 
So God is just. God cannot condone sin. He cannot tolerate sin. He judges sin and he punishes sin. So the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when man fell in the, in the beginning, you know, God said to Adam that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And he died. Instantly, he became spiritually separated from God. And subsequently, many deaths followed. Physical death, financial death, you know, death followed. So the penalty for sin is death. Spiritual death and other deaths. Hallelujah. So Christ paid the penalty. So it's not like God has gone soft on sin. But Jesus took our place and bore our sin. He became our sin and he bore our sins. And God punished him for our sins. When he was on that cross, it was our place he took. He became sin for us. And he was judged for our sin. So when the Bible is saying in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God is not counting the sins of unbelievers against them. It doesn't mean that God has gone soft on sin. It's because he counted it against our Lord Jesus Christ. And he judged our Lord Jesus Christ for the sin of the whole world. So he can't judge people for the sins that he has judged the world for. Hallelujah. So the soul that sinneth must die. So that Jesus took our place and died for us. He died in our stead. So the good news is for us to announce to our unbelievers that the death you ought to die because, you know, you inherited that sin nature and because of your sins, Jesus has died it for us. That's the good news. So we must know how to draw the net. Draw the net. Tell them the urgency, the urgency. One of the responses that is common when we go out to win souls is, I will think about it. As a believer, you must know how to convince people. Have you met marketers before? Especially marketers from, you know, companies that have to do with, you know, um, the more people you gather, the more, you know, that has to do with pulling crowd. They don't leave you. They want a commitment. They will keep persuading you till they get your commitment. So we're ambassadors for Christ. When we go to preach the gospel, we don't just take no for an answer. I will think about it. And you tell the person that God be with you. God will help you as you think about it. Still tell the person, go further. A lot of people have been warned that way when we go out on evangelism, you know, because we didn't take no for an answer. So draw the net. Let the person see the urgency. Praise God forevermore. So we present the truth of God's word. You know, the Bible talks about there is hell that is real. So we don't tell people that there is no hell so that they can just get saved. We don't water down the word. And then we don't terrorize people with hell. We present the truth of God's word as it is, simply and in clarity. Number five, practical way to win souls. We must be courteous and tactful. We must be courteous and tactful. We must be polite. When we go out to win souls, we meet people doing one thing or the other. Can I get five minutes of your time? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I sit down? Do you mind if we must be courteous and tactful? It will help people to open up to us and to attend to what we have to say. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. So we must not be rude. We must not be ash. You know, we must embrace humility 
in wisdom. Hallelujah. As we go about to present the gospel. Number six practical way to win souls is we must give love the right of way. Hallelujah. Love is one of the major essential quality of any soul winner. Glory to God. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for her, then were her dead. The love of Christ constrains us. It means that, you know, as we have received the nature of love, the Bible says in Romans 5, 5 that, you know, the, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and new birth. We must let that love lose. It takes love to win souls. It takes love to see people, you know, we see um, touts, we see thugs, we see people living, you know, contrary to the life that God has called us to live in Christ. Unbelievers, sinners, it takes love to reach out to them. Instead of justifying that, that's the way they want to live. That's their own life. Everybody has, you know, um, has the opportunity to decide how they want to live. No, love, you know, reaches out to people. So love for souls is important, you know, to win souls. So we must let the love of Christ constrain us. We must give love the right of way. Hallelujah. The essential quality of a soul winner, like I said, is love for people. You cannot win souls if you do not love souls. Hallelujah. You know, Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that Jesus, he had compassion on the multitude. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So he was moved with compassion. So when we see people that are not saved, we ought to be moved with compassion because of their spiritual state. So that's love. We give love the right of way. Number seven, we use the word of God to answer objections to the truth that come from the people with whom we share the gospel. When we go out on evangelism to win souls, when people have questions and ask questions, we answer by the word. We stick to the word. There's nothing like, um, well, my opinion is, we are ambassadors for Christ. We don't have a personal opinions apart from the opinion of God's word. We go absolutely on the authority of God's word. We answer their questions, you know, by the word. By the word. So it means that as a believer, you know, we must have good understanding of the word. You know, I love the, the account we read in Acts chapter 8. When Philip joined himself to the chariot of um, the Ethiopian Enoch, the Bible said, beginning from that scripture, beginning from that scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. It means that Philip was conversant with that scripture before he met the Ethiopian Enoch. He knew the word. So when we go out on evangelism, people will ask us questions. So, and that's where, what, um, you know, the Bible study you've been coming to, the Sunday services you've been coming to as a believer, demand will be laid on it. So, of course, there are some people that your, your answers will not satisfy them. We don't engage them in arguments. But we must be knowledgeable as believers to answer people from the word. To lay their questions to rest from the word. Now, when we get them saved, when we lead them to Christ, it's important for us to make them know. You know, as new believers, you know, to make them see the scriptural way to have assurance of salvation this is important a lot of people get saved and they don't have the assurance of salvation 
They go by their feelings. They don't know they are saved. And the first scriptural way is show them the word. It's not by feelings. Tell the person, this is how you know that you are saved. You may not feel saved. It's not by feelings. When you got saved, you became a new creature. Your spirit became renewed. It became new. Became born again. So it's not by feelings. You didn't change. Your body didn't change. Your mind didn't change. But your spirit got changed. And God's word says that's what happened. So show them from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that a person is a new creature. The assurance of the word. Show them from the word. That's who you are now. You're a new creature. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're a new creature. Immediately someone gets born again, it becomes a new creature. That's what the Bible says. Hallelujah. And Romans chapter 10 verse 8. Romans 10 8. Romans 10 8. But what saith it? The word is near thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So we see clearly from this scripture, you confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You're saved. You're saved. So if you want to lead a person to Christ, it's not by confession of sins. You don't tell the person to confess all the sins from the time that you can remember. The sin, you stole your mommy's meat, you collected somebody's pencil, somebody's barrel, then start confessing all those sins. No, that's not how to get saved. To lead a person to Christ, you tell the person, having preached the gospel to a person, the person believes, and then he confesses the lordship of Jesus. He confesses that Jesus came in person, he died for him, he was raised from the dead for him, and he's lord over his life, and he's saved. And that's enough. If you have done that, then you are truly saved. Feelings or no feelings. And this is how we begin the faith journey of a new believer. Now, there are many times that people are saved. Sincerely, they are genuinely saved. But because they caught themselves doing one or two things, they were not right. Someone that is saved caught himself lying, caught himself stealing, and feels like maybe he's not saved enough. Any opportunity again to get saved, the person rushes out again. He gets saved. He gets saved. And some people do that. New believers. Some do that for six months. Some for one year because the person that got them saved didn't tell them, didn't show them how to have the assurance of salvation. Hallelujah. So if you have confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus, having believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are genuinely saved. And that's how to start the new believer on faith. Hallelujah. And then by the witness of the Holy Spirit, it means that when you get someone saved, you know, get the person filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you want him to cope in this new life? Jesus said in John 16, 7, that it's to your advantage that I go. If I don't go, the comforter will not come. Thank God the Holy Spirit has come. He came on the day of Pentecost and he's been around since then. So you don't, we don't have any reason as believers to go out there to get people saved and not get them filled with the Holy Ghost. The job is not complete. The Christian life cannot be lived in our own strength. So you get the person filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible tells us in John 7, verse 37, area necessary to get filled with the Holy Ghost. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Two things. Thirst and believe. So if you are a believer, you are born again, and then you thirst. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. So most times, the difficulty we experience in getting people filled with the Holy Ghost after they are saved is because of the misconceptions they have about the Holy Spirit. So their heart is not yet open to receive him. So it's your responsibility as a believer to educate the person about the Holy Spirit. Don't just get a person saved. Tell the person, you know, about the Holy Spirit. Give the person the understanding of the Holy Spirit from scriptures that you can't live this life alone. So you water the person's appetite. The person becomes thirsty. It's so easy to get filled with the Holy Spirit when you see someone who is thirsty. So create that thirst and get the person filled. And so when you get a person filled with the Holy Spirit, then the person, the Holy Spirit witnesses to the person's spirit that is a child of God. It's the witness of the spirit. That's the assurance of salvation. Romans 8, 14. Let's see verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So for someone that just got saved, you know, if, when you get the person filled with the Holy Spirit, then there's a witness of the Spirit to the person's heart that is a child of God, that is not based on what he's doing right or what he's not yet doing right, that is based on what has been done already. He witnesses to the person's heart that I'm a child of God. So the witness of the Spirit. And the third way to have scriptural assurance of salvation is by the fruit of righteousness. As a new believer grows and matures spiritually, he ought to bear fruit of righteousness. He ought to bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. And that's why Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, let him that lie, let him lie no more. Let him that steal, let him steal no more. Let him that gets angry, don't get angry anymore. Not because you are struggling not to lie or steal or get angry, but as you grow spiritually, you put off the old man and you put on the new man in the attitude of your mind. And so you bring forth fruit unto righteousness. And Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the spirit is love. So the fruit here, we are talking about the fruit of righteousness is essentially love. Love. Bible says that by their fruits you shall know them. So as a believer grows and matures and bears the fruit of love, you know that this person is, is a believer. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So love is the fruit. And then only living, consistent with God's word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So number nine practical way of winning souls. Overcome the fear, you know, to reach out to souls with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone, for any believer that does not understand the Great Commission or has not been practicing the Great Commission, there is this fear of reaching out to souls. Fear of, what will I say? Fear of, what if the person does not, fear of being rejected? What if the person shouts at me? What if the person says, I don't have your time? What if the person, so there are a lot of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, that if we consider all those what ifs, we'll be hesitant in ministering the gospel. And so this fear must be overcome. And the first way to overcome this fear is, let your heart, let the love of God overwhelm your heart. The love for souls. Let it overwhelm your heart. Acknowledge with your mouth that, you know, the Holy Spirit has shed abroad in your heart the love of God. 
when you got saved. You a love being. So let the love of God let it overwhelm your heart. Pray that your love will abound more and more. Your love for souls. Your love for souls. You cannot truly love, you know, souls and not reach out to them. So as the love of God abounds in your heart, you overcome all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. You overcome it. Number two, refuse to give in to fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Second Timothy chapter one, verse six. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Refuse to give in to the spirit of fear. Get filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. So most times when you are considering the what ifs, they are the times that you are not filled with the Spirit. When a believer is filled with the Spirit, that's why Jesus said to the disciples, that tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. Under the unction of the Holy Spirit, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can preach the gospel. There's no fear. You, have, you are overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. So God has not given us the spirit of fear. Rather, he has given us the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And as we get filled with the spirit again and again and again, we are not given to fear. And lastly, rebuke the spirit of fear. Take authority over fear. When there's an opportunity to minister the gospel and then fear is coming up in your heart, take authority over the spirit of fear and take, you know, advantage of that opportunity. Now, as we do this, you know, I just don't want us to learn the practical ways of winning souls. Break the inertia. Start winning souls. If you preach the gospel today, you preach tomorrow, you preach, the fear is broken, the inertia is broken. You get to a point that any opportunity that God gives you to preach the gospel, you know, even though you don't know what to say, as at that time, you have that nudging in your spirit. You approach it in faith, not fear, because you've been practicing it. So practice it. That's how to overcome the fear finally. Practice it. It becomes your flow with practice. And so you take advantage of any opportunity. Being filled with the Spirit. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now let's end with benefits of soul winning. And these benefits, they are categorized into four groups. We have personal benefits. We have ministry benefits. We have community benefits. And we have eternal benefits. And the personal benefit here talks about the benefits of obeying God. I want to remind us that soul winning is not a suggestion from God. It's not optional. Soul winning is a command. And God always rewards obedience or faith. So when you go out there and you win souls, there's a reward for it. There's personal benefit for it. So God rewards soul winning. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the fruit of the land. So God rewards soul winning. How? He meets our personal needs. Mark 6, the 3, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and every other thing shall be added unto you. It doesn't mean that we want to have some other things we do, but, you know, we, we make room for soul winning in our schedule because that's the divine mandate that we have received. And as you do that, you see, you won't struggle. Most of the things people struggle for, they are the things that God wants to add to us. He wants to add them to us, but we are not allowing him to add them to us. The, the verse before that says, for after these things do the Gentiles seek after. Verse, verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. So as we obey God, 
preaching the gospel, God meets our needs. God meets our needs, our personal needs. So we also experience part of the past. So we need, we experience the joy of seeing souls saved. Hallelujah. Buying, acquiring material things, you know, the joy of getting a car, the day you got your first car, the joy of getting married, you can remember your wedding day, you know, it's good. But you must experience the joy of, you know, seeing a soul saved, leading a person to Christ. If you have not had that joy before, because you've not led people to Christ, you ought to have that joy. It's totally different. That joy, it transcends the joy of acquiring material things. That was the joy Jesus had when he led the Samaritan woman to, when he got her saved, when he won her. I mean, he was very hungry. But that joy, you know, you can experience it. And that's one of the personal benefits of soul winning. Hallelujah. And then we grow and increase God. Bible tells us in Proverbs 1130 that he that winneth souls is wise. So as we win souls, we increase in the wisdom of God. It's wisdom to win souls. So we increase in the wisdom of God. We grow in the wisdom of God as we win souls. The ministry benefits of soul winning. The church and grows spiritually as we win. We populate the kingdom of God and we depopulate the kingdom of darkness through soul winning. God has ordained it that the way to populate the kingdom is soul winning. So winning. People can come to church, but until they are saved, they are not yet in the kingdom of God. So it's true so winning that God wants his kingdom to be populated. So winning. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. And it shall come, let's see verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. We are in the last days. This is the church. So God wants all nations to flow into the church as we go out there to win souls. Yes, are there people that will have encounters that God will appear to in a dream and they will get saved? Yes. But the primary way in which God wants to bring all nations into the church is through soul winning. And so part of the benefits of soul winning is that the church becomes populated. The kingdom of God becomes populated. Hallelujah. And, you know, the knowledge of the glory of God, it covers the earth as the water covers the sea. Through soul winning. The influence of the church increases. Church can have a say in politics. Church can say we don't want this leader. And it's done. Because we have people. As souls are won, the church becomes more powerful in politics, in economics, in all sectors. Our influence increases. The knowledge of the glory of God, it covers the heart as the water covers the sea. The principle of the kingdom, they become incorporated, you know, into secular settings. That's the growth of the church. So the church prospers, even financially, as part of the ministry benefit of soul winning. The church prospers financially. God does not want his work to be, to be, you know, to be, to be sponsored by unbelievers. So he wants us to get, you know, people saved. And as they get saved, they get saved with their money. They come with their money. 
and then is used for the kingdom. So the church prospers financially and we have a voice in the community. And also part of the ministry benefit of soul winning, more laborers and workers are available in the church for the work of the ministry. There's a lot that needs to be done. And as people get saved, you know, laborers are recruited into the kingdom of God. We can have more stewards. Hallelujah. Yes. We can have more stewards. We can have people that will serve God more. That will do more. Hallelujah. And likely, lastly, as I said, the glory of Jesus increases and expands. The community benefits of soul winning. It means that soul winning also has, you know, um, it also has benefits on the community where we are, on the country where we are, in the nation where we are. Number one, there is joy in any city or community that receives the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Hallelujah. Because Philip preached in Samaria. There was great joy. So where the gospel is preached, there's great joy. You see, people are going through a lot in our, in our environment. A lot. They have real needs. They have real challenges. A lot of people are depressed. They are struggling with depression. We hear about suicide every day. So through the preaching of the gospel, you know, there is joy in the community. Even though the country is not giving the best to the community yet, or to the country yet, but there is joy in the community. The joy of the Lord. And also there's low crime rates. You know, there's low injustice. There's low cost of policing the citizens where the gospel is preached. Just imagine as a believer that, you know, the rapists outside there that are raping people, they have the same mindset. They are born again and they have the same mindset you have. The statistics of rape will go down. Those who are stealing all around, you know, and, you know, they are making excuses of, okay, I don't have a job. The country is not good. That's why they are stealing. When they get saved and they receive understanding, they will steal no more. They can learn to believe. One of the reasons why some people are stealing, which is not a right reason, is because they are unemployed. They are poor. They are blaming the government and they are excusing themselves stealing. But if they get saved, they can believe God. Yes. The reason why you and I, we are not stealing today, not because we have everything we need, but we know how to believe God. Yes. So there will be low, low rates of crime, low injustice. There will be low, you know, low, 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 low resources for policing people. Hallelujah. And lastly, there will be prosperity in the community. Any community any country, any city, any village that receives the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's advancements there. The technologies we celebrate today, you know, if you trace them, they are traced, you know, to, to the gospel. When a nation opens up to the gospel, then the nation opens up to development, to advancement. The countries we call developed countries today, they are countries that have opened up to the gospel. They opened up to the gospel. And the gospel is the light. The light of life. That's advancement. It makes for progress. 
So it makes for advancement and progress in the community. And lastly, the eternal benefit. The eternal benefit of soul winning. There's hundredfold blessings in the world to come. The Bible says that, you know, whosoever leaves father, mother, things of this world, you know, for the sake of the gospel, will receive hundredfold in this world. That's personal benefits. And then hundredfold in the world to come. Hundredfold in the world to come. So there are hundredfold benefits. Also, there are eternal rewards. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you read verse 7 to 8, Apostle said he has fought a good fight, he has finished his course, and he has kept the faith. And there is laid up for him the crown of righteousness. And Apostle James also said that, you know, anyone who endures best is he who endures trials and temptations, for there is a crown of life that he shall receive. And Apostle Peter talks about the crown of glory. So there are crowns. Those are eternal rewards as we win souls. And then we'll reign with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Hallelujah. And, you know, the greatest year is, you know, a soul is won into eternity. A soul is won into eternity. Delivered from eternal damnation into eternal life forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So having received this word, start practicing soul winning. Put it to work. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. We give you praise for this time. You know, we thank you for your word that's come on us. We thank you for light. We thank you for understanding. And we thank you for the strength that has been ministered by your spirit through this word to win souls and to take the great commission seriously. Father, we say be exalted in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Amen. Glory to God.